Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpackers, and welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 81. No one can deny that the Catholic Church is in turmoil, a very deep, dark hole sort of turmoil. A big part of that turmoil is that increasingly in the Church in America, the priesthood has less and less credibility. The good news is that a lot of priests realize this, and many of them refuse to accept it as a new normal. This has led to more and more priests preaching unadulterated truth from their pulpits, not caring what the PC police have to say, and willingly subjecting themselves to the rage of some parishioners and the vengeance of their bishops. Many of these courageous priests have taken to Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and other venues on the Internet to obey the Great Commission to further reach the laity with the fullness of divinely revealed truth. How successful are they at this? We really have no way of knowing, but I can attest that wherever I've found these men of God, I've noticed they're getting a lot of views and downloads and listens. As someone who now does all of his evangelistic activity online, to watch this growing phenomenon among courageous priests has really begun to excite me. There isn't anything I'm finding from Courageous Priests Online that you haven't already heard from me, but it's one thing to hear it from this layman and quite another to hear it from a priest of the living God. We need priests. We're not like Protestants who can put any high-sounding one among them on the dais to preach. You and I can't offer the holy sacrifice of the Mass to God. We can't forgive men's sins, nor pray to have our own forgiven. We can't confirm people in the faith, nor give an anointing of the sick. We need priests. When I first introduced you to Father Altman at the beginning of June in an episode titled Catholic America's New Elijah, Father James Altman, you six-packers were so hungry for a priest like him that you made that episode the most listened-to episode we've ever done. Many people told me how much they enjoyed Father Altman's homily, but also thought that his bishop would punish him for the things he said in that homily. I'm happy to report that Bishop Callahan of La Crosse backed Father Altman completely. Apparently, Bishop Callahan is carrying on the tradition of one of his predecessors, Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke, who's a supporter of this apostolate and my friend. Another thing some six-packers wondered aloud to me after listening to Father Altman in a rhetorical question was, if the church has been infiltrated with such evil, why remain in it? Out of 80 episodes I've done, I've answered that question in perhaps 15% of them. However, I'm not a priest. You need to hear it from a priest. Not the sort of priest who wants you to stay in the church because he needs your money, but the sort of priest who is interested in saving your soul. So we're going to hear Father Altman again today. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is a welcome visitor to parishes across the United States every Sunday through his What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. 
Using humor, immutable truth, and ignoring political correctness, Joe Sixpack helps the average Catholic in the pew better know and understand our holy and ancient faith in a way that is refreshing, awe-inspiring, and makes readers chest-pounding proud to be Catholic. And readers love it. Now you can enjoy Joe's work by getting the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It book series. In fact, get two copies of each book, one for yourself and one for your pastor. Then your priest can decide if he wants to help your fellow parishioners by subscribing to the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Get your copy of the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Now here's Father Altman preaching his June 28 homily, Hold Fast to the One True Faith. Which brings us to the focus of today's meditation. Growth is not easy because there are growing pains. But unless we are open to that growth, then we remain mere children in faith and we are unequipped in faith at handling adult challenges to faith. And when those challenges come, as they have with the, since the absolutely disastrous liturgical revolution perpetrated after Vatican II, as they have over the absolutely disastrous, godless handling of the abuse scandal, and as they have over the last three months of abandonment and denial of the sacraments and the holy sacrifice of the Mass, when challenges such as those come, the many out there who do not grow in their faith, just leave. As the saying goes, the fastest growing denomination out there is the denomination of ex-Catholics. But who can blame them? A bishop recently said to me, not connected to any scandal, recently said to me, in a very noble moment of candor, it's no wonder the people don't trust the bishops as a whole because of the awful cover-up by so many of them. Well, as a means to understand this concept of lack of trust, let us look at the military for an example, which has a simple term for this lack of trust. It's called loss of confidence and ability to command. And when that happens, the officer is relieved of duty. But despite the fact that we now know so much more about the deep swamp in the Catholic Church that has been confirmed, for instance, by the extraordinary revelations regarding Theodore McCarrick. Nevertheless, there have been precious few shepherds inspiring confidence in the people by speaking up and speaking out about the insidious web of McCarrick and his cronies. It's like it's all just kind of swept under the rug now. Now the immediate response by a vast majority of Catholics will be, or by the vast majority of the shepherds will be the, the excuse that, well, the Catholic Church is not like the military, for the military is a job, while being a shepherd is a vocation. But we know, dear family, that that response is the root cause of division, for there are objective standards in morality, and as a great Archbishop Vigano put it, one day he soon will have to stand before Almighty God and render an account as to whether or not he stayed silent 
and thus, through silence, was complicit in the cover-up and the scandals. The thing is, dear family, we have known for thousands of years, and throughout all sacred scripture we can see it, that we have a duty to guide and warn others about sin. Ezekiel 33, 7 through 9 is a perfect example. Quote, you son of man, I have appointed watchmen for the house of Israel. When you hear me say anything, you shall warn them for me. If I tell the wicked man that he shall surely die and you do not speak out to dissuade the wicked man from his way, he, the wicked man, shall die for his guilt, but I will hold you responsible for his death. But if you warn the wicked man, trying to turn him from his way, and he refuses to turn from his way, he shall die for his guilt, but you shall save yourself. And yet, dear family, we don't see a rush to correct any of the others intimately connected with the McCarrick scandal, even after one courageous Archbishop Vigano finally spoke up and brought down his house of cards. The analogy I used it earlier this week to Rome burned while Nero fiddled applies. And yes, yes, I know someone thought they needed to correct me on this. Nero did not actually play a fiddle. Yes, I know. He was 35 miles away. There was no fiddles in his time. It's a saying. It's an analogy for doing nothing. When an emergency calls, commands us to do something. So now we see here in the United States a lot of fiddling going on amidst the sad decline of faith due to division caused by lack of trust in the episcopacy. I'm not causing division by just saying it. No, I'm only talking the truth about what's actually out there. It's, it's, it's wrong to pretend to stick our head in the sand like an ostrich and pretend it's not true. This sadly contrasts with the personal integrity, this lack of trust in the episcopacy, this sadly lacks with the personal integrity demonstrated by the bishops of Chile when every single bishop submitted his resignation due specifically to the loss of confidence in them by the faithful. It was a profound witness to the faithful that they even would give up their command post if the faithful no longer had trust in them. Most resignations were not accepted because most were not the cause of the problem, nor were they complicit by their silence in the cover-up. Why is it that the episcopacy seems to refuse to stop being silent? It is due to a disastrous post-Vatican II restructuring of the way the church authority is exercised and reaffirmed in certain actions, recent actions of Pope Francis. And if you understand this, you will understand how it is that an aberrant exercise of authority, like those of the German bishops and a few of the cardinals in this synod they're carrying on over there, or the Amazon synod, you'll understand how massive has caused massive division in the Catholic Church throughout the world. Now, prior to Vatican II, the command of the Catholic Church was seated squarely in the chair of Peter. And the person who sat in that chair was known as the Vicar of Christ on Earth. 
And this has been true since the days of St. Peter, the first pope, and exemplified in the brilliant historical event from Corinth that occurred during the time that St. John, the beloved apostle, still was alive and living in nearby Ephesus. Simply put, when a dispute arose in Corinth, the leaders there did not go to the nearby town of Ephesus to have the last living apostle, the beloved apostle, St. John, settle the dispute. Rather, they went all the way around and over to Rome to have the Pope, the Vicar of Christ, settle the dispute. And so it went down through the ages. Vicar of Christ at the top, everybody else, all the bishops, one level down under that seat of authority. And that was for millennia, the structure of the Catholic Church. And that structure maintained the unity, the oneness of the Catholic Church. To analogize to the military, the chain of command went from Pope as the supreme leader to all of the bishops at equal one level underneath them. And there was unity across the universal church held together by the one chair of Peter, by the one language and the one holy sacrifice of the mass. There was no this group of bishops over there and this group of bishops over here somehow coming up with different standards and practices through whatever synod or smaller groups of bishops coming up with their own divisive ideas. And then along came Vatican II and the de facto restructuring of the Catholic Church with an emphasis on local autonomy by groups of bishops, an example of which would be, for instance, the USCCB. The grave danger of this autonomy, the cause of division that this causes, may best be seen in the Winnipeg Statement of the Canadian Catholic Bishops, where about 90 out of the 96 bishops signed and published a declaration that they, the Canadian bishops, refused to follow humane vitae. And voila, instant dissension and division in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. They never repented. We saw it here in the United States with the act of the USCCB under Bernadine to force communion in the hand down our throats, even though that is absolutely contrary to the norm of the Catholic Church. And we're seeing it at work right now in Germany, where some bishops and cardinals are proposing insane things regarding the Holy Eucharist in flawed marriages, blessings of same-sex marriages, not just tolerance, but blessing, and considering women's ordination. And all that is going on apace as Pope Francis eliminates the Vicar of Christ as his title for the first time in about 2,000 years of the Catholic Church. And now, due to all this, there is intentionally created division in the Catholic Church. Such division also was seen recently when the great Cardinal Seurat spoke to the previously universal practice of celebrating the holy sacrifice of the Mass facing God, not facing the people, facing God. And the massive negative response he got from Pope Francis was immediate, even though, even though the dubia still remain unanswered years later, and we're still waiting after a couple years for the McCarrick file to be released. It just shows that one can move very quickly when they want to, 
like Supich removing Father Kalchek in Chicago. They can move very quickly when they want to. So can we, you and I, really be surprised that more and more of the faithful are saying to the hierarchy, not one penny more. Now, I've had some people in this diocese say that to me, but you, dear family, are witnesses to my unwavering support for Bishop Callahan. This is, I think, the 21st time I've said it in the last three months, how blessed we are that Bishop Callahan always has allowed us to celebrate the sacred liturgies, all including ad orientum versus deum, facing God, the creator, as opposed to facing the people, mere creatures. How arrogant we are, aren't we? Not you, but people. How arrogant people can be. Oh, I want you facing me. How about we all just face God? That's why we're here in the first place, right? Seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? I don't know why people don't get it. We are blessed that Bishop Hallahan was one of the precious few who let us stay open and administer the sacraments as we were ordained to do. I was just at the ordination yesterday. It was so beautiful. His homily was one for the ages. I'm going to get a copy of it. Probably quote some of it. It was just so profound. That's what we were ordained to do, as it said in the ordination right yesterday, to serve the people by providing them with the grace of the sacraments through the celebration of the holy sacrifice of the mass. I hope it's on TV. I'd love to watch him say it in live and in person. And your family, all that added this, this disruption of the, the, the sanctuary and the liturgy that has run rampant since Vatican II. It's all been the precursor and the recipe for disaster that we see all around us today. Why? Because as Jesus said in the gospel, bad trees cannot produce good fruit, period. Bad trees actually produce bad fruit. They don't just stand idle. Bad tree is going to produce bad fruit. Not my opinion. Jesus said it. Case closed. Your family, the great Pope Benedict XVI, a brilliant liturgist, put it this way. What happened is this is not my opinion. What happened at the council regarding the liturgical revolution was in the place of the liturgy as the fruit of development, instead came, became fabricated liturgy. We abandoned the organic living process of growth and development over centuries and replaced it as in a manufacturing process with a fabrication, a banal on the spot product. Well, those are stunning words from someone who knew he was the vicar of Christ. Unless we have any doubt about it, what he was trying to get a point, the point he was trying to make. In yet another book, Pope Benedict XVI said, I am convinced that the crisis in the church that we are experiencing today is to a large extent due to the disintegration of the liturgy. And that is why, dear family, in yet another book, Pope Benedict XVI said, I'm of the opinion to be sure that the old right should be granted much more generously to all those who desire it. It is impossible to see what could be dangerous or unacceptable about that. A community is calling its very being into question. And here he's talking about the radical revolution after Vatican II. A community is calling its very being into question when it suddenly declares 
that what up until now was its holiest and highest possession, he's talking about the holy sacrifice of the mass, is strictly forbidden. And when it makes for the longing for it seem downright indecent. Listen, when I was in seminary, if we even, even had a hint about us that we might care for the sacred liturgy that was celebrated for millennia, that we might want to celebrate the Holy Mass in the traditional form, we were blackballed. Dear family, here's a way to understand what Pope Benedict XVI was talking about in the traditional sacred liturgy and why it was so important and why we lost so much when it was thrown out. Every word, every action is a sign of eternal truth, including, if you've never seen it, taking the missile away. That's that big red book over there. It's a, in the, an extraordinary form. It's on the right side or the epistle side of the altar. And there comes a point when the MC transfers it from that side of the altar over to the left side of the altar, known as the gospel side of the altar. And your family, as the sacred liturgy is supposed to do, that action taught us the one and only truth that Jesus taught, quote, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, not might be, he's talking to the Jews, and given to a people that will produce its fruits. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they knew that he was speaking about them. Go read Matthew chapter 21. The transfer of the book from the epistle side to the gospel side is a sign and symbol of the kingdom being taken away from the Jews, exactly like Jesus said it would. Your family, the Jews no longer are the chosen people. And we've known this since the crucifixion about 2,000 years ago until the insidious smoke of Satan entered the church during Vatican II, exactly like Pope St. Paul VI said it had. Not my opinion. A sainted pope, a canonized pope said it. The reason why people no longer understand Jesus's crystal clear teaching is directly due to the insidious undermining of the faith since Vatican II and the destruction of its sacred liturgy. As a great Archbishop Vigano, who exposed the rot in the Roman Curia when he exposed the cabal that hid McCarrick's file, as Archbishop Vigano recently said about Vatican II, on closer inspection, never in the history of the church has a council presented itself as an historic event that it was different from any other council. In case you don't know, there have been 21 ecumenical councils in the Catholic Church. There were 20 of them before Vatican II. Vatican II is number 21. And he said that never in the history of those councils has any council presented itself as some brand new whatever. He said there was never talk of a spirit of the Council of Nicaea or the spirit of the Council of Ferrara, Florence, even less the spirit of the Council of Trent. But how many times do you hear people running around today saying, oh, the spirit of Vatican II, the spirit of Vatican II, there's no such thing. He said, Archbishop Viganoda, just as we've never had a post-conciliar era after Lateran IV or Vatican I. In other words, dear family, we were had. And the fact that we were had is so blatantly obvious that one must wonder how it is that many in the hierarchy don't get it. I'll explain why in just a moment using a new life lesson of railroad cars. But let me preface it with something that you all do know. The gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Again, every good tree bears good fruit, and a rotten tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree bear good fruit. So by their fruits, you will know them. Well, we all saw the rotten trees of the late 60s and 70s when they Protestantized and wrecked our sacred sanctuaries. Do you remember? You wanted to paint over the martyrdom of St. James the Less, our parish patron. Oh, it's just too violent. It's distracting. Listen, we're all called to that. That's a reminder of what exactly each one of us are called to. Oh, let's Protestantize it. Let's paint it all over. Let's have a big beige barn. We saw the rotten trees when they Protestantized and wrecked our sacred sanctuaries. They tore out the communion rails. They, oh, remember the felt banners, the guitars and pop songs and stuffed Protestant communion in the hand down our throats. We all now know the bad fruit born by those rotten trees. Again, as the saying goes, the fastest growing denomination out there is a denomination of ex-Catholics. That's a fact. And so many in the hierarchy still cannot see or flatly refuse to admit that when 70% of Catholics no longer believe in the real presence, Houston, we got a problem. And yet, and yet, I just saw this. We have a bishop in the United States commanding his priests to not celebrate the holy sacrifice of the mass versus deum toward God. In his order to the priests of the diocese, I won't say who, because you know what? I get in trouble. People complain when I mention who it is. In his order to the priests of the diocese, he said, quote, there are priests who prefer ad orientum. Doesn't mention that there might be people that prefer us worshiping God, looking at God. There are priests who prefer ad orientum. I'm convinced that they mean well and find it a devout way to pray. Yeah, I guess it was a devout way to pay, pray for about 2,000 years. But he says, but the overwhelming experience worldwide after Vatican II is that the priest faces the people for mass and this has contributed to the sanctification of the people. Really, Bishop, the Vatican II liturgical nightmare has contributed to the sanctification of the people. Do you mean the sanctification of the 75% that don't even bother to come anymore to the holy sacrifice of the mass? Do you mean the sanctification of the 70% of people who no longer believe in the real presence? The truth, dear family, is that the Protestantization of our sacred sanctuaries and the holy sacrifice of the mass has destroyed the faith of 70 to 75% of baptized Catholics. So I'm wondering, Bishop, what growing percentage of disbelief amongst the people might be enough to make you realize that people like you have robbed so many of the very means they need for sanctification. Well, part of Exodus 25 through 31, for example, or the temple worship of Jesus Christ our Lord, do you not know or understand? But listen again, dear family, again, as always, you don't have to take my word for it. Just read up on any of the great Cardinal Seurat's recent statements. Cardinal Seurat suggested that if the church today finds itself not always sufficiently zealous about its mission, liturgy overly shaped by modern tastes and fashions could be one of the causes. Pope Benedict once said something like that. We're not swept away by the wind of change. We don't follow the latest novelties. 
Well, as he often does, Cardinal Seurat offered a strong plug for celebrating the Mass, Adorantum versus Deum, toward God, facing God, our Creator. He called it a gesture that was almost universally presumed in the antique forms of the Roman Rite, as, in other words, been doing it for thousands of years, rendered freely accessible by Benedict XVI for those who desire to use it. Apparently, that one bishop hasn't bothered to read Cardinal Seurat's recent statements. In fact, Cardinal Seurat said, it's permitted and encouraged, and I would insist, pastorally advantageous in the more modern form of the, norm, of the Roman Rite. He's talking about the Novus Ordo. It's advantageous. It's pastorally advantageous. It's good for the people's soul and their sanctification if Mass is celebrated facing God. He argued that a more reverent and sober form of the liturgy that places the ascent accent on the primacy of God has never been more important than now, facing a world marked by an ever-aggressive secularism, consumerism, a terrorism without God, and a culture of death. Isn't that what we're seeing all around us for the past three months, for the past month, and all the crazy anarchy going on everywhere in our country? So we know all this. Whenever we walk into a truly Catholic church, it's just there when the tabernacle is where it's supposed to be and there are kneelers in the pews. We know this. So why is it that so many of the hierarchy cannot see, will not see, refuse to see the obvious? The answer is that life lesson I was talking about earlier of the railroad cars and the railroad car switching yard. Some friends of mine live right next to a very busy Railroad switching yard. You go out their back door, you go out into the end of their backyard, and suddenly there it is. And the thing is, all day, all night, when those cars were coupled together, as they do, there comes, they come together in a loud boom. And yet my friends could sleep right through it. I couldn't. It's, if you've ever heard, it's just Boom. Well, dear family, sooner or later, our human nature is such that we become used to even such extraordinary things as this noise of the railroad cars slamming together in the quiet of the night. We don't even notice it because we become accustomed to the noise. And that is exactly what has happened since Vatican II. Now, just dare, just try and dare to point out patently obvious bad fruit and immediately ruffle someone's feathers. Oh, you don't know what to, you're, you're contrary to the spirit of Vatican II. I told you what was said about that. There's no such thing. But bad fruit is bad fruit. And we, and, and the many who ignore that fact are the many to whom Jesus uh, will say, as he taught in the gospel, when they say, Lord, Lord, I did great things in your name. He's going to say away from me, you evildoer. Which brings us to today's sacred scripture. There is no spirit of Vatican II coding the truth, sugarcoating the truth. In the first reading from the second book of Kings, we see how a husband and wife welcomed the prophet Elisha. And in the gospel, we hear Jesus the Lord say, whoever receives me, whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. He's talking about our father who art in heaven. The opposite also applies. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. 
So, dear family, sadly, we cannot count on the many out there to use their heads and realize that there can be no greater evidence of rejection than the scourging, crowning the thorns, the nailing, and the crucifixion. The Jews rejected Jesus, just like they did in John chapter 6 when they walked away from Jesus and the Holy Eucharist. The Protestants rejected Jesus when they did the exact same thing as the Jews did in John chapter 6, and they walked away from Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. Ex-Catholics rejected Jesus when they did the exact same thing that the Jews did in John chapter 6, and the Protestants did about 500 years ago when they walked away from Jesus and the Holy Eucharist the bread of life, without which we do not have life within us. Again, not my opinion. Jesus said it. The St. Paul had words for anyone who tries to propose anything different from that same gospel of Jesus our Lord, anathema sit. So anyone out there, Jew, Protestant, ex-Catholic, fake Catholic, including clergy and laity both, who dares to challenge this truth, are preaching the gospel other than what Jesus preached. And I would be a terrible priest, a horrible father. Remember three years ago, I said, you're my family now. And I love you like my family. And as a father who loves his family, he's going to preach to them, teach them, guide them in the truth. So for three years now, in real love, in true love, in God-like love, I have given you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Sometimes it took a little while to do that. That's why you have padded seats. But dear family, in these troubled, dangerous times, these malevolent times, it is a truth to which we must hold fast and keep the one true faith and run the race to the end. That is the way to our salvation. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Just as in the previous episode that introduced you to Father Altman, he never once avoided giving us the absolute truth. Listening to this priest is a real blessing, don't you think? As you know, I'm really big on attempting to prove that Jesus established the Catholic Church, established the papacy with Peter as the first pope, and passed to the pope the authority to speak infallibly in Jesus' name. One piece of historical evidence for papal authority that I frequently forget to mention is one brought up by Father Altman. John was the last living apostle. All the others had been martyred, but John would live to be an old man. He spent most of his life after the resurrection in Ephesus, caring for Mary, the mother of Jesus. A theological dispute arose among Catholics in Corinth. This dispute had to be settled by someone who not only knew the answer to the dispute, but who had the authority to settle it. John, who had walked with Jesus for three years and was present at the foot of the cross, the only man Jesus trusted enough to care for his mother after he left, was living in Ephesus, a mere 470 miles away. But the disputants didn't go to John in Ephesus because he didn't have the authority vested by Christ to settle the dispute. St. Clement of Rome was Pope, as I recall. 
So the disputants traveled 800 miles to Rome to see Clement, almost twice as far and requiring travel across the Adriatic Sea to get the disputes settled by the one who had Jesus' authority, the Pope. If that doesn't demonstrate papal authority, I don't know what does. I hope you liked and paid close attention to Father Altman. If you did, let me hear from you on the Cantankerous Catholic website, Twitter, Facebook, and Parlor. The links for them are in my show notes. You can help other Catholics find the Cantankerous Catholic if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have an apostolate you'd like other Catholics to learn about? Maybe you have an e-commerce business and you want to build sales while supporting a Holy Orthodox apostolate. Whatever you want to advertise, The Cantankerous Catholic is your portal to success. The Cantankerous Catholic isn't even a year into broadcasting its weekly shows and we're already listened to in 16 countries, all 50 states, and 101 major cities throughout the U.S. and Canada. Our listener demographics are the most sought after for advertisers. The Cantankerous Catholic avatar is 53% men and 47% women ages 18 to 34. The show's average growth rate through 2019 was 24% per week, and our listeners are Orthodox Catholics who reject heterodox Catholic positions and political correctness. Relative to other broadcasts and online advertising, our rates are extremely cost-effective and inexpensive. You can advertise in each show's show notes, in the recorded episode itself, our weekly newsletter that announces each new episode, all of these media together, or in any combination. So contact us today by filling out the form on the Sponsor Kit page at cantankerouscatholic.com or email Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, directly at joe at cantankerouscatholic.com to learn how you can begin driving traffic to whatever you want to promote while helping to support a worthy, orthodox, and hard-hitting apostolate. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to LifeSite News. A parish in New Haven, Connecticut was vandalized with anarchist and satanic symbols painted on the doors. Without mincing words, the local archdiocese of Hartford wrote on Facebook, The underlying motive of these sacrilegious attacks is clear, to intimidate and instill fear in the hearts of those who worship Christ. Why, you no good, stinking, rotten rascal! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to Catholic News Agency. A man in St. Louis has been charged with four counts of fourth-degree assault after police say he threw punches at people praying and defending a statue of St. Louis during a recent protest. Despicable! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 3 Hats off to Just the News. 
a major Los Angeles teachers union released a list of demands it claims are needed before public schools can safely reopen. The demands include defunding the police, eliminating charter schools, a wealth tax, and a federal Medicare for All program. Police violence is a leading cause of death and trauma for black people and is a serious public health and moral issue, the union stated. What the hell does this have to do with educating children? No, 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 no. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number two. Hats off to the Washington Examiner. Editor and writer Barry Weiss quit the New York Times, accusing the paper of rigidly following a narrow audience. She wrote, quote, Op-eds that would have easily been published just two years ago would now get an editor or writer in serious trouble if not fired, end quote. She added, Twitter is not on the masthead of the New York Times, but Twitter has become its ultimate editor. Weiss was brought into the New York Times after the 2016 election to help the paper introduce its readers to non-liberal opinions. I like that. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to the Daily Wire. At least four Catholic churches in four states were vandalized in a string of attacks that have authorities wondering whether religious icons and statues are next to be targeted by anti-racism and anti-fascist protesters. Uh-oh. We're in big trouble now. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholicism 101 is the segment where Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, gives you little thumbnail lessons to help you better learn and understand the Catholic faith. Here's this week's Catholicism 101. Last week, we began looking at the four marks of the church, that is, that she is one. Today, we'll continue with the second mark, stating that the church is holy. Before we do, however, we need to define the origin of the church just a little more deeply. Have you ever wondered why the Catholic Church refers to herself as the mystical body of Christ? It comes from sacred scripture. St. Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ repeatedly, but in order to understand why he does so, as well as its significance, we need to focus on Paul's conversion in Acts 9, 1-6. St. Paul, who prior to his conversion was called Saul, was a Pharisee and persecutor of Christians. At the time of his conversion, Saul was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians when Jesus appeared to him in his glorified state. Now as he journeyed, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This encounter with Jesus apparently formed St. Paul's theology on the church. Paul saw the church was a divine institution, with Jesus as its head and we as its members. Indeed, Paul saw that Jesus Christ and his church are one and the same. Notice that Jesus didn't ask, 
why do you persecute my followers? Or why do you persecute my church? He asked, why do you persecute me? Jesus had ascended into heaven a long time before St. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. So Paul couldn't have been persecuting Jesus. The persecution was of his followers. But that isn't what Jesus says. Christ's words are clearly indicative that to persecute his followers is to persecute him. This is why St. Paul taught that we are members of the body of Christ, the church, and he is its head. Paul understood that Jesus and his church are one. Since Jesus and his church are one, and since Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity, then the Catholic Church is a living, breathing, divine body. For a body to live, it must have a soul. The soul of the Church is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. This is why we can say that a true mark of the Catholic Church is that she is holy. The Church teaches holy doctrine and gives her members the means of living holy lives, thus producing saints in every age. The founders of other churches, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, Wesley, etc., were but men and in no way remarkable for heroic virtue. Our founder is Jesus Christ, God himself, the author and very definition of virtue. The Catholic Church is holy because of her intimate union with Christ as his bride and his mystical body. Catholics are a chosen people because they are branches of the true vine, Jesus Christ, according to John 15.5. Although people outside her fold may, through invincible ignorance, be members of the church in desire and thus share in her divine life, their churches are cast forth as a branch and withers, according to John 15.6. Yes, a mark of the church is holiness, but does that mean we're all holy or that the leaders of the church on various levels are holy? No, not necessarily. We're certainly called to holiness, but we're humans who often fail the test. For more than a decade now, the church has been riddled with scandals. Perhaps the biggest one has been the priest-child abuse scandal. Many, both in and out of the Catholic Church, have pointed to that scandal and claimed loudly that this is proof the Church isn't holy. That is simply not true, and nobody demonstrates this better than St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis came into a town to preach on its streets. He quickly learned that the people were not attending Holy Mass in the town's only parish church. When he asked them why, they dragged the parish priest out before him, along with his paramour and three illegitimate children. While they berated the unfaithful priest, St. Francis quietly got down on his knees before the unfortunate man. He stayed in that position until the crowd grew silent. Then, barely above a whisper, St. Francis said, whether he is good for his own soul, I do not know, but my soul needs him. St. Francis understood that the priest could be steeped in mortal sin, but it was only through him that the saint could receive the sacraments that Jesus had established. As we'll learn in future editions of Catholicism 101, Jesus established the sacraments so we can become holy, and he gave us the only avenue for administering these sacraments, a priesthood. 
A priest may condemn his own soul to hell, but you and I can't get to heaven without him because Jesus gives us the necessary sanctifying grace through the sacraments administered by the priest. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave us all a command. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect in Matthew 5.48. Wow. Notice that Jesus didn't say we must strive for perfection. He said we must become perfect, as perfect as God himself. How perfect is the Father? He's infinitely perfect. So how do we obey this command from God? We obey this command by living all the truths of the Catholic faith and by receiving the sacraments often, especially by going to confession and then to communion when we know we're free of mortal sin. Jesus, who understands us better than we understand ourselves because he created us, would never command us to do something impossible. He commanded us to be perfect, that is, holy, a saint. Yes, all of us. And he gave us the church, her sacraments, and her holy priesthood for that purpose. You should resolve today to make a good examination of conscience and go to confession this week after having made up your mind to obey Christ's command to be perfect. You'll be a lot happier and sleep much better, I promise. Next week, we'll continue to look at the marks of the church. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me on the Cantankerous Catholic website. Learn things about the Catholic faith you never knew in Joe Sixpack's Secrets of the Catholic Faith. There are many essentials to our holy and ancient faith that few modern Catholics know. Those essentials have become, well, secrets, hence the title Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is always exciting, never boring, and completely politically incorrect. He never shies away from the so-called untouchable moral issues. With his use of humor and directness, readers and students can never get enough of what he teaches. According to Joe, there isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be completely demonstrated to an inquiring mind. Everything can be demonstrated. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when they need and want meat. Secrets of the Catholic Faith is actually exciting, and it will make any Catholic's chest swell with pride. So get your copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Thomas Aquinas. He said, Hold firmly that our faith is identical with that of the ancients. Deny this and you dissolve the unity of the church. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. We're told that over a period of 30 years, St. Albert the Great spent all of his recreation time away from his hard studies building a highly complex and sophisticated machine, which not only looked like a human being, but was supposed to imitate the human voice and movements. 
However, he kept this favorite hobby of his a deeply guarded secret. Finally, he'd advanced with the mechanical man far enough that he wanted to surprise others with his invention. When he saw one of his students walking alone, he placed the artificial man in such a position that the student would have to see him. The saint hid himself so he could watch his student's surprise. When the student saw the strange thing, he was astonished and terrified. But when it even walked toward him with awkward movements and stammered a few words, the young man grabbed a metal poker and rushed the saint's masterpiece. Horrified, Albert rushed from his hiding place shouting, Stop! Stop, you foolish boy! But it was too late. His masterpiece had been destroyed. Too late, the student had destroyed, in one moment, what St. Albert had laboriously built over 30 years. Your soul, created by God in his image and likeness, is a far more magnificent work of art than Albert's imitation of a man that he'd spent 30 years building. For 33 years, Jesus labored and suffered to restore the original beauty of the human soul, which had been lost through original sin. When you commit a mortal sin, you ruin, in one moment, the masterpiece of divine love and omnipotence within yourself. Help your fellow Catholic six-packers. They need to be listening to the Cantankerous Catholic, and you can help them find it better if you leave a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Leaving a review will make it easier for other Catholics to find the Cantankerous Catholic because reviews cause the podcasting platforms to show it more often. And I thank you in advance for leaving a review. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Thanks for subscribing and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.